الحمد لله وكفاه so just to recap yesterday we covered uh, ikhlas and we touched upon sidq which is truthfulness but our focus is on sincerity and ikhlas uh, we talked about what aniyah is what it means to have an intention and uh, the different stages of an intention so knowledge and then will and then ability where you carry out the actual action itself um, we talked about how Deeds are solely based on their intentions and that there's two parts, there's the, the intention and there's, there's the deed. The intention is valid even without the deed in circumstances, whereas the other way around, the deed is not doesn't carry any weight without the intention. Uh, we talked about the importance of combining intentions with one act, of, with one deed or one act of worship because with the combined intention you can get reward that's multifold. So you, you can have eight intentions of entering the masjid, although you're only coming and praying one time. And you can get, inshallah, eight times the reward and eight times the spiritual benefit as well. Uh, we talked about, uh, and we had a lengthy discussion about, you know, managing intentions and how to maintain sincerity before, during, and after an action. And um, a few take-home points from that uh, was that, uh, one, it's helpful to have a teacher or a sheikh that can help you because this one eliminate the need of you deciphering whether or not your intention is pure or whether or not you should carry forth with a deed or not because choice is eliminated. When choice is eliminated, you just do. You don't think. When there's benefit and khair in that, um, especially when it's in according to the sunnah, according to the sunnah. Um, and we talked about being true to yourself and being true to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So today's uh, section is on reliance, which is tawakkul. Reliance, which is tawakkul. Now, this is a deep topic. In, Imam Ghazali goes into it in, in great depth. Um, but I want to highlight that the intention behind covering this is not, uh, it's not, this is not a class on aqidah. So the purpose is to understand what reliance is and then how we can bring it into our life. It's not to have a discussion on the principles of aqidah and what it means to trust in Allah. So we're going to, when those points come up, I'm going to make it clear that we're not, we're not going to delve into that. That's for a different place, a different time. Okay, reliance, tawakkul. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, المتوكلون, that let those who rely, rely upon Allah. Allah ta'ala said, Rely upon Allah if you are believers. He subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allah surely loves those who rely upon him. He, uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala, said, وَمَنْ يَتَوَكَّلْ عَلَى اللَّهِ فَهُوَ حَسْبُهُ Allah Ta'ala is sufficient for whoever relies upon Him. He, uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala, said, أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِكَافٍ عَبْدَهِ Is not Allah Ta'ala enough for His slave? Is not Allah Ta'ala enough for His slave? He, subhanahu wa ta'ala, also said, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ تَعْبُدُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ لَا يَمْلِكُونَ لَكُمْ رِزْقًا فَابْتَغُوا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ الرِّزْقِ Those whom you worship besides Allah, surely do not possess any provision for you. So seek your provision from Allah. So the multiple ayahs, right? And Allah Ta'ala references tawakkul and trust in Allah and reliance in Allah in so many places in the Quran. He's just highlighting a few of these. Okay, let's keep reading. The Prophet said, if you were to rely upon Allah with the reliance he truly deserves, he would assuredly provide for you. Just as he provides for the birds, they start the day with empty stomachs yet return full in the evening. A bird doesn't, uh, they don't die of starvation. Um, they're just, they're, they're, uh, Allah Ta'ala provides for them and there's no uh, test for them in that regard. He, he also said, whoever cuts himself off from all except Allah, Allah Ta'ala supplies his every need and provides for him from 
uh, from where and when he did not expect. Whoever cuts himself off from all except the world, Allah Ta'ala leaves him to it. So we talked about this previously that for people who chase deen and chase Allah Ta'ala, Allah Ta'ala takes, Allah Ta'ala takes care of them. But if you choose to take matters in this world in your own hands, then Allah Ta'ala will let you, uh, will, will say, okay, you, you take it. Since you're taking responsibility, you're on your own. Um, and so uh, this is the essence of reliance. Um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger used to say whenever his family was impoverished sorry Allah's messenger used to say whenever his family was impoverished stand up to pray he used to say this is what my Lord commanded me with and this comes from the verse of the Quran okay so let's talk about the reality the reality of reliance the reality of reliance is an expression of a state that emerges from affirmation of divine oneness, tawheed, and its effect upon de- and its effect appears on deeds. It has three pillars: knowledge, state, and deeds. Right. So this is the theme. The first pillar is knowledge, and it is the foundation. So the first pillar of tawakkul, reliance, is having knowledge of what it, of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, knowledge of Allah Taala's attributes. Okay. So he says, by it, I mean knowledge of divine oneness. For only someone who sees no actor besides Allah Taala relies on Him. The perfection of this knowledge is contained in your statement La ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah lahul mulku wa lahul hamd yuhi wa yumit wa huwa ala kulli shay'in qadir So the perfection of knowledge, the deepest you can get when it comes to this matter is in the statement that we're taught, right, from, from hadith La ilaha illallah, there is nothing worthy of worship except Allah Wahdahu la sharika lah lahul mulku wa lahul uh, alone without any partner Wahdahu la sharika lahul mulku wa lahul hamd And all dominion belongs to him and so does all praise Biyadihi um, al-khayr uh, or sorry, and he is powerful over everything within this statement is faith in divine oneness the perfection of his power and generosity the wisdoms for which he deserves all praise whoever says this truthfully and sincerely has completed his affirmation of divine oneness and the foundation through which the state of reliance emerges is established in his or her heart okay so he's saying that the the essence of divine tawheed, which is the divine oneness, which is tawheed, which is the uh, which is the pinnacle of knowledge of tawakkul of Allah, tawakkul on Allah, reliance upon Allah Taala. If whoever says this statement and with their heart firmly has conviction in it, then uh, that this is a sign that tawakkul is firmly established in their heart to believe these things. La ilaha illallah. There's no deity worthy of worship. Allah. Wahdahu la sharika lah. He's alone. Uh, everything belongs to him. Uh, and that uh, Allah Ta'ala is uh, powerful over every single thing. So, okay. Um, now, Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, he'll talk about the four layers of declaring divine oneness. We're still in the knowledge section. This declaring of divine oneness has two cores, and he goes into this analogy. Um, that there's multiple layers to this. So let me go over these. Um, okay, so um, he talks about different layers of knowing what tawakkul means. Okay, so he's going to go through uh, four layers. The first layer, which is the outer shell, is the statement of the tongue by itself, which is the faith of the hypocrites. So saying that Allah Ta'ala, I trust in Allah, or I have reliance in Allah, but that's just a statement of the tongue, but it's not present in the heart. This is a statement of the munafiqeen. And this applies to anything, right? Anything that you say with your tongue, but you don't actually have that uh, that reality in your heart. This is a sign of a munafiq. Um, I think we gave the example before of 
uh, a Sahabi who thought that he had completed, sorry, thought that he was a hypocrite. And he, and the reason he felt he was a hypocrite, alhamdulillah, he felt he was a hypocrite because, um, you know, he, you, as, a, as a believer, you make statements that you love Allah, you believe in Allah, uh, but he didn't feel that what he thought or what he said truly matched up with what was in his heart. And that meant that when he was with the company, the Prophet ﷺ, he was in a different place. But when he was away from the Prophet ﷺ, he was in a different place. So basically the point being that there was a discrepancy. And anytime there's a discrepancy, it raises the possibility of hypocrisy. That's, that's the underlying point. So in that case, obviously, it wasn't hypocrisy. But keep, we keep that in mind. That if the heart doesn't match up with the tongue, it's a sign of a hypocrite. Um, okay, the second is decisive belief in the heart, which is the highest, which is the level of, gen, of the generality of creation and the, and the uh, theologian. So simply believing in Tawheed, so saying it with your tongue and accepting that there is a concept of Tawakkul and Tawheed, and then saying that, you know what, I don't want to understand this further. I'm just going to rest upon this. I believe in Allah, I have Tawakkul in Allah, and I'm not going to go any deeper. This is the level of most of creation. So he's saying this is the second degree of understanding. Um, the third, which is the core, is when the reality of declaring this divine oneness and its true secret is exposed to a person through the light of Allah Ta'ala. This means that he sees many things yet knows that they all emanate from a single actor according to an order. This means that he or she realizes the chain of causes, how they are sequenced, and the connection of the beginning of the chain to the causer of causes. Okay, so the whole idea of tawakkul and reliance on Allah Ta'ala is to appreciate that Allah Ta'ala is responsible for everything and he's the doer and causer of everything, right? Fa'al haqiqi, we talked about this now twice at least. So that's what tawakkul is, to appreciate that principle to the nth degree. So Imam Ghazali is saying is that first degree is to basically just lip service, to say it, that you believe Allah's fa'al haqiqi and you rely on him. Second is to believe it in your heart but not go any further than that. The third is to actually bring in an element of contemplation. And that is to appreciate that for everything there's a cause that has another cause, that has another cause, that has another cause, and then that cause goes back to Allah Ta'ala. Okay, so the second stage, which is that you believe it in your heart, is basically you having tawakkul. Look, everything's from Allah, and that's it. I'm leaving it at that. I don't want to think about this further. But then the next stage is that okay. So let's say that you know, um, uh, you will give an example of uh, wealth comes into your. You get a paycheck, right? You get your paycheck for your week. Now you can attribute that. You know what? All wealth is from Allah. This is from Allah. That's sufficient for me. Um, then there's this this idea that okay, well, where did it come from? Okay, so it came. The paycheck came from my employer. My employer got it from their uh, what goods they were selling. The goods that they were selling actually came from the items or products that were grown from the ground. And th anything that's grown from the ground needs water that comes from the sky. Water that comes from the sky comes from, uh, and you eventually take it cause to cause to cause, and eventually you attribute it to Allah Taala somewhere. So you you recognize there's this chain. So the third stage is to recognize that there is a causer of each cause. So the cause has a causer, 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 and then eventually it gets back to Allah Ta'ala, but ultimately you attribute it all to Allah Ta'ala. So that's the third level. So he says, the person of, uh, so this means that he realizes the chain of causes, how they are sequenced, and the connection of the beginning of the chain to the causer, capital C, of the causes. So you recognize there's a chain and it always goes back to Allah. That's the third level. The fourth, which, uh, sorry, he says, the person of this station, which is the third station, is nevertheless still in separation because he or she sees actions, their abundance, and their connection to the actor. So you see, you don't see directly that this is coming from Allah. You see layers or causes, but eventually you bring it back to Allah. The fourth station is where you can appreciate 
that despite there being multiple layers, it's all an extension of it coming from Allah. Okay, so let, let's, let's read what he says about this. The fourth, which is the core of the core, is that a person does not see anything ex in existence except one. Capital one. Anything in existence except one. And knows that what is in existence is in, in reality is one. And that the plurality in it is only in reference to whoever's awareness is divided. Okay? So if you appreciate that everything is from Allah and He's the doer of everything, although there's multiple layers that come after it, if you decide to divide those layers up into this lengthy chain and eventually attribute it to Allah, that's the third phase. But if you recognize that even this is essentially an extension of Allah Ta'ala's oneness, then this is the fourth three, and this is the highest degree. Okay? So let me keep reading. The latter is like someone for who, example, he sees from a person his leg, then his arm, then his face, then his head, and thus it is, and thus is overcome by his plurality. Yet if he were to see a person all at once, each individual part would not occur to him. It's kind of like the forest from the trees. Um, or uh, there's, this is actually a cognitive uh, trick that some people have this ability that when they look at, you know those images where like, um, where you have uh, uh, like, a, a picture of a face, but the face is made up of like letters or tiny little images and then it's, I forget what it's called. It's almost like a collage, but it eventually makes this one image. So people, sometimes there's parts of the brain that are affected and they can't appreciate the bigger picture. They only see the individual parts and vice versa. There's another cognitive dysfunction that occurs in another part of the brain where you look at that picture and all you see are the individual parts, but you can't actually see the full face. Okay, um, so it's kind of like a person, you know, you can't see the forest, you can only see the trees. Some people can only see the trees, they can never see the forest. So what Imam Ghazali rahimahullah is saying is that like, okay, you know, if you look at a person and you're fixated on each individual part, arm, leg, face, but not recognizing that this is actually just one being, uh, this is like that third stage, right? There's multiple layers. But if you appreciate Allah Ta'ala as one, and really all of creation is an extension of that oneness, then this is the highest level of tawakkul, which is reliance in Allah. The same goes for someone who declares divine oneness. Seeing the sky, the earth, and the rest of existence does not divide his awareness. Rather, he sees it all under the rule of the same thing. So you, you, look, you go outside and you look at a tree, you immediately appreciate that this is a sign of Allah Ta'ala's creation. What that means is it's basically Allah Ta'ala, I don't want to use the word extension of Allah Ta'ala, but you understand that this is a direct cause of Allah Ta'ala, although there are multiple layers to it, but you all appreciate even those layers to, to attribute all of those layers even to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Does that make sense? It does, okay. Um, okay, so he says, because obviously this is very deep, he says, this subject has some depth, and we can't do it here, sorry, depth, we can't do it here, so go to the book, the book of Divine Oneness, this is the book of Tawheed that he's written, he said, go, if you want more details, go over there, so we don't want more details today. Okay. All actions are related to the cause of the causes. We're still in the knowledge section, by the way. The reality of reliance, tawakkul, only requires that declaring divine oneness be actualized. It does not require obliteration in declaring oneness of the essence. He's saying you just have to appreciate that there is divine oneness, tawheed. Um, you, you don't have to obliterate yourself, right? So obliteration of tawheed is, is what we call fanat, which is that you're basically lost in this whole principle. This is, this is what he's saying. You're not required to achieve, attain a state of fanat. Rather, you just have to recognize that there is one Allah Ta'ala, and this Allah Ta'ala uh, we must fully trust because everything is from Allah. If you can appreciate that, then you're good. You don't have to obliterate yourself or obliterate everything you know, for, for, the, for the purpose of attaining this sort of state. 
Rather, it is permissible for the one who relies to see plurality causes and effects. It's, so it's okay for you to see a tree and see that the tree comes from, gets water and the water comes from the sky and then eventually get it to Allah. Or see that my employer gives me a paycheck, my employer is getting that money from X and then from Y and then from Z and ultimately that wealth is coming from Allah. It's okay for you to do that. He said it's permissible for the one who relies, meaning who has tawakkul, to see plurality, to see the different stages. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, its causes and effects. However, he should witness the connection of the chain to its ultimate cause. You have to appreciate that ultimately everything comes from Allah. Otherwise, you don't have true tawakkul. You have to recognize that any difficulty that comes your way, it comes through multiple layers. It comes through you know, getting pulled over on the side of the road and that person's pulling you over because you know, they have to meet their quota for the month or because you were speeding. And then, okay, but th- then who created these laws of speeding and etc. And you can take it. But ultimately, you have to attribute it back to Allah. You can use causes. There's no, there's no harm in that. Sorry, you can appreciate the causes, but you have to appreciate that ultimately Allah Ta'ala is the ultimate cause. I believe this is obvious to, obvious to you in regards to whatever does not fall under the choice of human beings. Indeed, if you see the rain as a cause for plant growth, then you know that the rain is subjected to the means of clouds. The clouds are subjected to the means of wind and vapor from the oceans. Likewise, the oceans or bodies are inevitably subjected to whatever ends at the first, capital F, cause, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, even if you do not know the number of means, there's no harm in that. You don't have to know how many layers there are to get to this true cause or doer, which is Allah Ta'ala, just appreciate there's multiple layers. And in fact, this is part of reflection and contemplation, right? Like to think about where, where did this food come from? It came from this, 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 and it came from Allah. To reflect upon that, it takes 10 or 15 minutes, and that's actually contemplation. It's beneficial for the soul to actually engage in that exercise. You see a tree and you think, where did it come from? And all of the different components of it and the fact that it has leaves and leaves undergo photosynthesis and that requires light from the sky and oxygen and all these different layers to Allah's creation. And you recognize that there's so many causes to each sub-cause. That is actually time spent in the remembrance of Allah and in tafakkur, which is reflection. So that's a healthy exercise to engage in. In fact, like this is used, this is like a means of psychotherapy actually, to have somebody engage in this for 15 or 20 minutes, it's very beneficial even for the mind and for the soul. So this is built into our deen, this is built into this whole concept of tawakkul, reliance in Allah, so we should, we should, we should practice this as well. Um, what is, so he's saying it's obvious to you to understand this when it comes to something that you don't have a choice under, right? So you see a tree, I don't have a choice over how it's gotten to where it's gotten. Um, you see uh, um, the sky, right? And then you can take the sky comes from the ozone or, or there's ozone layers, ozone layers. Okay, the only way you can appreciate it is because of the sun shining on it. But ultimately, I have no control over it. And because I have no control over it, I'm willing to accept that this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's saying it's easy for you to accept that. Okay, but how about those things that you feel like you have some control over. He says, well, this is what is not obvious to you is human actions. Indeed, you say, quote, whoever feeds me, he definitely feeds me by choice. If he wills, he gives. If he wills, he withholds. How could I not see him as a doer, end quote. Right? So right now I'm sitting here. If somebody were to bring me a plate of food, if he chooses to give me a plate of food, I can eat. And if he says, I'm not giving, I'm, if he chooses, I'm not going to give it, then I'm not going to get food. So you're going to think, this is the doer. He ultimately has full control. How could there be more layers beyond this? So he's saying it's easy when it comes to things that are not in human control, but things when it comes into human control, it's a little harder for us to appreciate what it means to have tawakkul and reliance in Allah. Okay, so he, gives, he explains this. In turning your attention to the doer, meaning the fa'il, in this way, you are like an ant, okay? 
In, it sees the black line over the white page that occurs when the pen is moved and the ant ascribes that to the pen. Its eye is small and weak, so it does not look unto the finger, nor from it to the hand, nor from it to the ability to move that the hand possesses, nor from it to the will that the ability is employed for, nor from it to the knowledge that the movement of will depends on, nor from it to the possessor of ability, knowledge, and will. The ant can't see. All it sees is that there's a pen who's making a mark. It doesn't know that there's so much more intricacy involved. There's a finger that's involved that's holding the pen. The hand uh, helps the movement of the finger. That, uh, uh, and uh, that comes from the arm. The arm gets those from nerves that come from the neck. The neck gets that information from parts of the brain. The brain gets that from certain nerves that are firing in a certain way. And then that's at a biological level or a physiological level. Then there's this, this idea and notion of consciousness and will that's a completely different layer. But the ant isn't even thinking. All it sees is a little pen and the pen is doing everything. So we're just ants when it comes to this world. Now, uh, so he says, so, meaning that we, an ant has a small eye, so it can't see, and uh, we have a small metaphysical eye, we can't see either. Okay. Likewise, you ascribe the actions of the slaves of human beings to their will, knowledge, and ability. Your gaze, meaning your metaphysical gaze, does not fall upon the pen by which knowledge is recorded on the slates of hearts, nor from it to the fingers that the hearts of the slaves are between, nor from them to the hand by which Adam salam's clay was fermented, nor from it to the power by which the hand was moved to ferment Adam salam's clay, nor from it to the all-powerful, capital A, capital P, cap, to the all-powerful from whom you began and to whom you will return. Just because you, you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because we are unable to see something doesn't mean it's not actually occurring. Meaning that if somebody were to withhold, it's because that came from Allah. If somebody were to give, that also came from Allah Ta'ala. We don't know. There's multiple layers to that. the heart's control. Okay, so he'll explain this. Um... Yeah, indeed, you do not know a pen except that one that's made from reed, nor a hand or fingers except those that are made from flesh and bone, nor an image except of colors and forms. Because we think about the here and now. We think about the physical. We have no concept that there's actually this metaphysical. So when you're focused on the physical, you're only going to attribute cause and effect to the physical. But if you understand there's a metaphysical layer to this, then you're going to attribute cause and effect to the metaphysical side as well. Um, Within this is a secret that moves between the principle of coercion and choice and gi can give a false impression of a contradiction between divine oneness and moral responsibility. So this is the aqidah thing. We have already explained this in a different book. He's saying this. The book of divine oneness and reliance and the book of gratitude from the Ihya. So if you're more interested in learning this, go over there. Not, not here, not now. Okay. So what should accompany belief, this is the next section, what should accompany belief in the divine oneness of action in order to effectuate reliance? Tawakkul. Faith, belief in the divine oneness of action and essence is not sufficient to effect reliance unless it is accompanied by faith in mercy, generosity, and wisdom. So this is very deep. What Imam Ghazali rahimahullah is saying is that if you want to truly have tawakkul, it's going to be difficult for you to achieve this simply by having faith in tawheed. You have to also appreciate other characteristics of Allah, including mercy, generosity, and wisdom. If you can appreciate these 
and combine this with Tawheed, then you can then you can understand what reliance is and bring it into your life. Through this occurs trust in the truly reliable, Al-Wakil. This means that you decisively believe or it is revealed to you through insight that if Allah Ta'ala were to have created everyone with the intellect and the most intelligent, sorry, if Allah Ta'ala uh, were to have created everybody with the intellect of the most intelligent among them, or better yet, with the most perfect state of intelligence conceivable. And then he added to that a plethora of knowledge and wisdom, revealed to them the end result of things, made them privy to the secrets of the spiritual dimensions, subtleties of wisdom, intricacies of good and bad, and then commanded this group of intelligent people to order the physical world and its spiritual dimensions, they would not be able to order it in any way better than it already is. So if Allah Ta'ala even empowered human beings to... Uh, to, to run this world, gave you all what was required, knowledge, wisdom, understanding of the physical and metaphysical and spiritual worlds, even if you had all of this at, at your fingertips, you wouldn't be able to run this world the way Allah Ta'ala is run this world. Nor would it be possible for them to add to it, meaning to this world. You can't, or take away from it, you can't, even to this universe, you can't add a particle. Nor can you take away a single particle. Think about that. You can't make something become nothing. And you can't make nothing become something. There's a finite number of particles or atoms, and that's it. You can't add. You can't take away. Something as simple as that we can't accomplish even if we had all of the intelligence in the world given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't even add from it, nor can you take away from it the wing of a mosquito nor would they ever succeed in sanctioning the prevention of any sickness, fault, or deficiency, nor could they change Allah Ta'ala's distribution of provisions, lifespans, power, inability, obedience, or disobedience. Rather, they would see all of the aforementioned as pure justice without any wrong therein. So now he's saying that if you were to put intelligence in all of these people, wisdom, understanding of the world, you know, power, etc., the conclusion they would come to through even just mere observation of this beautiful, perfect system, is that there is no justice or wrong within this. Pure truth, this is pure truth without any flaw and complete uprightness without any shortcoming or exaggeration. Indeed, every time they saw a deficiency, they would see that some other perfection greater than it is connected with it. SubhanAllah. Whatever they thought harmful, they would see that behind it is some greater benefit that is only attained through it. They would know decisively that Allah Ta'ala is wise, generous, and merciful. From the outset, He has never been stingy with the creation, nor has He withheld anything concerning their rectification. It's a perfect system. Allah's designed. You can't add to it. We can't take away from it. We can't contribute to it. Cause and effect is purely by Allah's decree and there's tremendous hikmah and wisdom in every single stage along this path. And, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because you think that as we advance ourselves as a world scientifically, the more advances we make scientifically, the more we realize we don't know. This is a fact. You can ask any researcher. The more you delve into something, the more the ocean opens up. So then you go into each individual ocean, there's another ocean behind all of this. So ultimately what we're doing is we're actually expanding. Uh, we're, there's no, there's, there isn't a finite amount to know about this universe. It's infinite. And the more you open up, the more that springs open.
right? The more you go into something, the more you realize there's even more. So this is actually expanding. So the unknown is growing. It's not actually decreasing in size because we just don't know. And the more you can appreciate this, you can appreciate this at a physical level, you can appreciate this at a metaphysical level as well. Um, so a lot, what Melvazadi is saying is through this example is that, you know, if you, were to, you want to try to run this world, go ahead and try to run it and see what you can do to make it better. You know, see if you can do to make it better. See, you know, for instance, like some people question, like, you know, why is there sickness in the world? Why did Allah Ta'ala create sickness? That's a difficulty that people endure. There's no benefit. If I was to design this world, I would design it where there wasn't any sickness. But there's so many benefits that come from sickness, right? Even at a uh, communal, there's financial benefits that come. How many people are employed in healthcare, right? How much of this country runs off costs related to healthcare? So that income has to come from somewhere. Uh, how much compassion and sympathy and empathy are displayed in this world when people are ill, they, are, they wouldn't be displayed in any other way, shape, or form if you remove sickness from this universe. Um, extension of help, right? The, the support that comes. Uh, I mean, there's so much. There's infrastructure. There's finances. There's human interaction that's, that comes and stems from this. We think that there's no benefit, but ultimately Allah Ta'ala's wisdom is such that we wouldn't be able to design it any better way than he's already designed it. You can apply this to anything, right? You can apply this to sickness or illness, or you could apply this to uh, old age. Why do people age? You know, if I was to design the world, I would just say people shouldn't age. You know, this often happens with the human body. You, you come across an organ and you say, what, is, what a useless organ in the body, right? We should just cut it out and take it out and remove it because it doesn't serve any function or purpose. And then you remove it and then you find out that like, oh, you know what, actually these are where a lot of like, uh, you know, these are where a lot of immune or lymph cells actually, uh, this is where they stay, right? So it actually every, every, even every part of the human being serves a purpose. You cut it out and then years later you realize, that, you know, actually this actually served a purpose. We think that we could design things better than Allah Ta'ala's designed them, but it's not possible. Allah Ta'ala's default stage of design for everything, human beings, uh, the science of human beings, the science of physics, the laws of physics, the science of chemistry, these are all perfect by their design. And it's just up to us to study these and research these, not so that we can question why it happened that way, but simply because we can begin to appreciate complexity further. That's all, right? That's all it is. Okay. Um, so this one sentence that he says that is very powerful. He says, so whatever they thought, uh, they would see that some other perfection greater than it is connected with it. Whatever they thought harmful, they would see that behind it is some greater benefit that is only attained through it. They would know decisively that Allah Ta'ala is wise, generous, and merciful. This is actually a, mm, a principle that, if uh, this is a, a cognitive principle. So if you can if somebody undergoes some difficulty, right? Let's say that you get involved in a car accident. Uh, and because of that car accident, you lose a limb, right? Now, it, that car accident wasn't your fault. Now, what happens for a period of time after you're involved in that motor vehicle accident, sometimes years, sometimes decades, you're always questioning why this happened to you. Why, 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 why? Why did it happen to me? Why not somebody else? I was young and healthy. I wasn't drunk when I was driving, especially if you're hit by someone who was like, for instance, right? I was, I was, I'm, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I, you know, paid my bills on time. I was even, you know, I worshiped Allah. You know, I believed in Allah. Uh, and so you go through this period of a lot of why. And so one of the, so that puts you into, it gives you, that puts you into, into a little bit of depression. And sometimes there's some anxiety and generalized anxiety develops with it. And so one of the treatments that's employed 
is something called cognitive behavioral therapy, where you basically take those thoughts that keep coming into the person's mind and you basically try to convince them or change the thought such that your belief system is incorrect. Let's change your belief to something different. And if you believe something differently, then one, the questioning would subside, and two, you would feel better about it in the long run. Okay? So the essence of that is actually this right here. It's that if you believe that there's always a better, if Allah Ta'ala um, always has what's in uh, your best interest, and you apply that to this cognitive behavioral therapy, it's actually the crux of it. Because the questioning of why will actually go away because you have the ability to attribute to Allah, and this is only for the believers. Now, when you actually go through CBT sessions, um, or you're, let's say you teach them, or whatever, you'll know that you, ha you will never be able to attach it to the divine because we live in a society that is a religious. So you'll have to attach it to something else. That, like, you know, maybe there's a different reality to why this happened. So you'll try to hook on to something and convince somebody that this is the reason. And then, oh, they think, oh, that was the reason it happened. But it's never fully convincing. But what you can attribute it to there being a more superior cause that's actually wanting what's best for you, and you attach your, you, that cognitive uh, the thought to it, and it latches on and it sticks to it, uh, then you find tremendous benefit in that. Um, does that make sense? Okay. We're, <laughs> we're only partway through this. SubhanAllah. There's just so much depth, and it's like this chapter could probably take like 10 days. So, all right. Uh, I'm just going to do some reading. So... <laughs> Save the explanation for now. This is an, an now. This is another ocean of realization. The secret of predetermination sets its waves in motion. A secret that those given unveilings have been barred from mentioning. So some people, Allah Taala has given an insight into predetermination that they don't just reveal to others. Uh, that most are confused about. <laughs> so you think this is a secret that some people that uh, are given unveilings, they're barred from mentioning it. Most people are confused about it. That is only comprehended by people of knowledge and ilm, and the ultimate meaning of which we, is perceived only by those firmly rooted in knowledge. The um, portion of understanding available to the general people is that they believe that everything happens to them was never going to miss them. Whatever missed them was never going to happen to them. And whatever happens was bound to occur by the decree of the eternal will. So again, going back to this cognitive behavioral principle, this co having this fact in mind, that ultimately whatever is going to happen to me is from Allah. Like it's a hadith of the Prophet. I think it's such a profound hadith that like, if you were to, if anybody was really struggling with some past uh, incident that they had, and then you bring this hadith, it, can t it, it supersedes any other possible thought that you can bring into their therapy sessions. And that is the Prophet I'm saying that if the entire world were to get together and to harm you, they would not be able to harm you except that Allah Ta'ala were to harm you. Right? If you could, I mean, if you could sell this, <laughs> I mean, you would, you would make a lot of money. If the Prophet if the entire world were to get together and to try to benefit you, but Allah Ta'ala were to prevent that benefit from occurring, it would, just wouldn't happen. So, if we can understand this principle, we understand what the wakul is. Um, there is no revoking of his judgment and no repealing of his decree. Rather, everything, whether major or minor, is written and is fruition according to an awaited well-known measure. Uh, okay. Um, the second pillar, so the first pillar, was all, that was all knowledge. The second pillar is the actual state of reliance. This means that you leave your affairs with Allah, your trust in Him, your mind is at rest with resignation to Him, and you do not turn to other than Allah Ta'ala in the first place. Thus, your likeness is like that of someone who entrusts or to represent Him before a judge. So you entrust someone else, like an attorney or a wakil, to represent you before a judge, 
and that person is one who know who is the most sympathetic of people toward you, the most capable of exposing falsehood, the most knowledgeable of you, and the most protective of you. You're going to pick the best attorney who's going to represent you to the best of, to, to, who knows you the best, who understands your background the best, who is willing to defend you at all costs, right? And they can expose falsehood. Indeed, such a person, meaning now you're the, uh, uh, um, uh, the plaintiff, will sit quietly in his home with his heart at rest, not thinking about the loopholes of litigation and not seeking the aid of any other person because you already have this attorney who's going to do everything for you. You could just sit and be at peace. Uh, due to his or her knowledge that the one whom he entrusted is sufficient to preserve his interest and that no one can stand against him. Okay? So when you have a great attorney, you just relax because you know that this person is going to represent me properly. Now, is there a better attorney than Allah Ta'ala? Right? Wakil. What a great uh, representative he is. Ni'mal Mawla wa Ni'mal Nasir. Right? Like Allah Ta'ala uses the word like what a great Mawla, what a great Nasir, what a great helper. You can't find a better helper, you can't find a better attorney. So it would only make sense that we put our tawakkul in Allah Ta'ala because he's our best representative. Whoever realizes that provision, provision, life, creation, and all affairs are in Allah Ta'ala's hand, that he alone is in control and has no partner, that his generosity, wisdom, and mercy have no end, and that no one else's mercy or generosity is equal, his heart necessarily then relies upon him and his sight is cut off from other than him. All you begin to see is Allah. That you'll be used the means of this world, but all you'll actually see is Allah Ta'ala. That's the person who has tawakkul. That's the state of having real reliance on Allah Ta'ala. Um, okay. Let's fast forward. The third pillar, so he talks more about the state of reliance, but we're just going to move to the next section. The third pillar is in regards to deeds. Ignorant people might think that abandoning earning, abandoning medical treatment, and surrendering to, the destruct to destructive forces, so oppressive forces of this world, is a condition of reliance. So if you're, he, he's saying if you're a, if you're a jahil, if you're ignorant, then you're going to say that, well, true reliance and tawakkul is that I no longer seek medical treatment from people. I surrender to destructive forces, so I let people basically take advantage of me or of, or of my community or of the ummah. And that I, because, uh, and, um, and I abandon earning a livelihood because I attribute that if I'm relying on Allah, I should, I could sit here and do nothing and Allah Ta'ala will take care of me. So he's saying this is a sign of a jahil and ignorant person. The reality is that a slave's efforts should not exceed four things. Acquiring a benefit that is currently absent, preserving one that is present, repelling harm so that it does not occur, or removing harm so that it is eliminated. So this all falls within the guise of the sharia. Um, oh, actually, no, I, I'm, I should go back. Sorry. So he says those things, abandoning medical treatment, surrendering destructive forces, not earning a livelihood, meaning just sitting and doing nothing. He says uh, this is a sign of a jahil. This is incorrect because, because sacred law prohibits it. Sharia prohibits you from doing this. You're required to seek a livelihood. You're required to seek medical treatment. You're required to, uh, to stand up for yourself and for your community. He says it's incorrect simply because the Sharia says you, you can't, you can't do that. You can't just sit and do nothing. The sacred law Sharia has praised reliance and encouraged it. So how could it include the forbidden? Sharia says that you have to have full tawakkul in Allah. It's not going to permit something that's that goes against tawakkul, right? Or that is haram. Um, okay. So then he says the reality of the slaves' efforts should exceed a few things. Um, the first of these, acquiring benefits, has three kinds of means. They are either decisive, clearly probable, or unlikely. As for the decisive, an example of it is that a person's hand does not reach for food despite that person being hungry. He or she says, quote, this is effort, and I am the one who relies, end quote. Right? So this is someone who 
the first stage is acquiring benefit. There's food in front of you. And you say, you know, on Allah. I'm just going to sit here. If Allah Ta'ala cared for me or if I have full reliance on Allah, then Allah Ta'ala is going to put this into my stomach. But this is contrary to Sharia. And this is the whole, uh, this is the premise that Allah is mentioning is that everything that we've mentioned is it still has to fit with the requirements of the Sunnah and the Sharia. And in particular, he's going to come to it here. Um, as for the decisive, Mm, okay, so he says, okay, so I'm the one who relies, so I'm not going to try. Another example is that um, the person wants a child, and, like they want to have a child, yet they don't sleep with their wife. It's not going to happen. Or wants to farm, yet doesn't plant any seeds. This is ignorance. Because Allah Ta'ala's sunnah, or Allah Ta'ala's way does not change. And he has taught you that the connection of these effects to those means are a part of this sunnah for which you will find no substitute. So true tawakkud in Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala is to use the means that Allah Ta'ala has created for you. Allah Ta'ala has a way that this world functions. And he's created certain mechanisms by which um, this world will function. So you too have to have to in a, through utility through utilizing those mechanisms put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you can never uh, ignore the fact that there's a sunnah of Allah or that there's a sharia you can't ignore that mm. okay so he says reliance within, within this decisive means is by two things the first of them is knowing that the hand the foot the seed, the ability to take, and everything else are from Allah Ta'ala's power. The second is not relying upon them in your heart, but, re but rather relying upon the Creator. How could one rely upon the hand when it might be partially paralyzed at that moment, or food when it might be destroyed? Right? I'm talking right now, but if Allah Ta'ala wants, He could cut the blood supply off to a part of my brain, and I would stop speaking instantaneously. Allah Ta'ala could make that happen. So... Similarly, you know, uh, I mean, there's, there's anything that can happen at any given moment in time. And this is what we call, like, Manu Hajj is mentioning, like, these freak accidents. Things can happen out of the blue. Sometimes they're not even freaks. Sometimes they're just, they're just natural occurrences throughout the day. And it's like, how did that happen? Somebody walks in the door right now, and they can completely uh, uh, change the scene, right? It can happen in an instant from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, okay, so he says, uh, so how could one rely upon the hand when it might be partially paralyzed at that moment or the food when it might be destroyed? This is the realization of your statement that there is no power or force except through Allah. This is its realization. The power is movement and the force is ability. If this is your state, then you are relying upon Allah Ta'ala even as you exert effort. Okay, so you implore the means that Allah Ta'ala has created, but recognizing that each of these means is from Allah Ta'ala and it's an extension of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. Okay. He goes into additional details about basically like, okay, so seeking wealth uh, and... Okay, actually, let's read this paragraph. As for the probable means, it is like someone keeping provision in a remote environment or while traveling. So, for instance, uh, abandoning it is not a condition of reliance. Rather, it is a way of the predecessor. So, you're going on a trip, and uh, you decide, you know what, what if it uh, rains? Let me keep an umbrella with me, right? You could say that, well, no, it's out Allah. If it's going to rain, Allah Ta'ala will take care of me. Why do I need to take an umbrella with me? You know, if, why do I need to pack an extra pair of clothes uh, when you're going on a trip? Um, or... You know, I have a door. The door is shut at night. Why do I need to lock my door at night? Talk about Allah. If something's going to happen, it's going to happen to me anyway. Why do I need to lock my door? 
Um, so Imam Ghazali says, abandoning this is not a condition of reliance, rather it is the way of the predecessors. So we always refer back to our pious predecessors and the Sunnah of the Prophet in accordance with what they felt tawakkul to be. It's not what we feel tawakkul is in our own mind. Instead, reliance is upon Allah Ta'ala's bounty in repelling thieves, sustaining provision in life, and the ability to acquire. So you, you do these things, recognizing that this is the mechanism that Allah Ta'ala has chosen for this world to operate. Um, then he talks about other means. For instance, like he's saying that although there's a thing called unlikely means, and it is like you know closely studying loopholes, so basically deceptively trying to earn a wealth. In this in this regard, um, uh, you have to have tawakkul in Allah. So if it means that you are going to violate the Sharia in order to, to to earn a living, no, you can't do that. So you can't say that you know I need to use all the means Allah has given me. So I'm going to open up a store and sell alcohol. Or I'm going to lie on my uh, end of the work, how many hours I worked, and I get paid hourly. And so instead of, you know, 35 hours, I only work 30, but I'm going to put 35. So I'm going to get five extra hours of, of, of wealth or money. So in matters of this, um, you can't. You can't do that. You have to have tawakkul that, you know what, I was only able to work 30. The five hours of salary that I really need, inshallah, Allah Ta'ala will take care of it. You know what, I can't open up, I can't sell alcohol. It's just not, it's against my religion. I'm going to lose money as a result of it, but tawakkul ala Allah, Allah Ta'ala will fulfill that wealth in some other way, shape, or form, right? I'm, so when it comes to unlawful means, and then he talks about saving money and how much money a person should save, because one could argue that tawakkul ala Allah means I shouldn't save any money, because when I need it, Allah Ta'ala will provide, but he goes into details about how much you should save, how you should have at least a year's worth of savings. Um, so this is all going to be pertinent to the time and place you live in, so we're going to bypass this. Let's just um, conclude with this last section which is the last couple of paragraphs, know that saving, the ruling on abandoning saving. So the reason I'm bringing this up isn't because the fiqhi principles are going to apply, but because the, uh, the other principles, wisdoms that are within it will apply to us. Know that saving is praiseworthy for anyone whose certainty is dominant and whose start heart is strong. So if you, uh, okay, as for the weak person whose heart is confused and who would not be at leisure to worship if he did not save, it is better for him to leave the path of those who practice reliance in order not to force himself to do what he cannot bear. Okay? Um, for him, it is corruptive capacity. Its corruptive capacity is greater than its reformative capacity. Each person should be treated according to their condition and strength. For some people, their strength has reached a point such that they can travel in remote areas without provision. This is for the person who can be patient with lack of food for a week and content himself with eating weeds. Indeed, this will not normally be required of him in a remote area. Okay, so there are people who have such tawakkul in Allah. Their state with Allah Ta'ala is so high that they, they can go without, like, preparing and planning to a certain degree like they can say you know what? i don't want to take an umbrella Allah, right like i if allah ta'ala brings this to me i'm okay with it but their state is so high that it's not the state of the normal person and so imam ghazali is saying each person should be treated according to their own individual condition and strength right we're not there's no uniformity here each there's there's individuality when it comes to deen and our abilities and our strengths and each person has to strive according to their own individual abilities so, for instance, you know, yesterday we heard the hadith when the time uh, had come for people to come and bring their wealth. Um, and Umar, the Prophet made an announcement. Umar came and he came and he brought half of what he has. And Abu Bakr came and he brought all of what he had. And he was asked, what did you leave behind for your family? So it's like, I left behind uh, my uh, Allah Ta'ala and his messenger. I mean, he brought every single part of his wealth. Now, let's say that, you know, the message is that we need to collect money right now. Uh, please bring whatever you have. You know, we need to expand. Now you go home 
and you bring everything. Your your uh, you bring your your deed paperwork, your your uh, lease. You know, you tear it up. You bring your car title. You empty out your bank account. And you bring it to the masjid, and you and somebody and you ask, you're asked, what did you leave behind? I left Allah and His Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. You know, your wife would probably divorce you. Your kids would probably leave you. Our iman is not to that level, so the ulama don't recommend making that much of a sacrifice. It's just we're not prepared for it. There's when Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu brought that, he was prepared that you know what, fine, for a week I might not be able to eat, for three months I might not be able to do this and that, but you know what, my trust in Allah Taala is to such a degree that it doesn't that doesn't phase me. But we're not at his level of iman. We're not at the level of iman of even Umar radiallahu anhu who brought half his wealth. So according to your own strength and your own need, you have to take that step forward. Um, so there's, there's a lot of wisdom in this. As for the weak person, if he does this, meaning like does more than he is able to do, he is disobedient for placing himself in destruction, subhanAllah. You're actually disobeying Allah by doing something like this. Like if you were, for instance, going on a trip and you say, I'm not going to pack clothes with me. People are just going to bring it to me when I get to the airport. Right? He's saying you're actually being disobedient for placing yourself in destruction because you're destined for failure. So don't put yourself in that situation. Unless your level of tawakkul is that high, like that level of like the bird, <laughs> you know. Um, likewise, if the strong person confines himself in a mountain cave that has no weeds and no passersby, then this is also prohibited because he has opposed Allah Ta'ala's sunnah concerning his creation. Meaning, even if you have, okay, so he's saying that if you're going, there's, in that time, there was a, if you were to go on a trip into an area where people might come by or there may be weeds, a person who is in a low state of iman should still take something with them. Okay, now a person who has a high state of iman and they, they can go into a place where there's weeds and they can go to, into a place where people are coming by because they have tawakkud in Allah and in that circumstance that the, the weeds run out or, you know, uh, uh, sorry, their food, the, in, in this circumstance they get hungry or they get lost, there's people that are going to come by and they can still help them, okay? So the example would be that, like, you know, a person who has low iman, they have to pack their clothes with them when they go, when they're flying somewhere. Uh, a person who has very high iman, they can say, Allah, whatever happens, somebody, Allah Ta'ala will find a way for me to get something. So you would pack without clothes. But, but look, we live in a society where if you land at the airport, there's other people there. If you need help, you're desperate, you run out of food, you could, somebody can help you. So you're not going to like the top of Mount Everest and no one's there and not packing. So Mawazali is saying that if you were in that circumstance, no matter what your degree of iman is, you have to prepare for that sort of a situation because your iman is not going to be that strong. It's actually disobedience and he's saying that it goes against the sunnah and the sharia. He says, so, in that context, let me read it again. As for the weak person, if he does this, he is disobedient for placing himself in destruction. Likewise, if the strong person confines himself to a mountain cave that has no weeds, and no passers-by, nobody comes through that area, then this is also prohibited because he has opposed Allah Ta'ala's sunnah concerning his creation. So Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, when he brought all his wealth, he was still in a community. And if push came to shove, he, you know, people would be able to support him, right? But his tawakkul had to be high, number one. And the circumstance around had to be such that, if necessary, there would be support. Um, so, but if there's nothing, Imam Wazali is saying that you, okay, so... Uh, this is permissible for him in remote areas only because Allah Ta'ala's sunnah is that in remote areas, there are, these are never void of weeds and people might pass by him. No matter what your degree of taqwa is, there has to be some sort of backup, is what Imam Ghazali is saying. There has to be a backup plan. Um, thus, if he's strong, his destruction would be very rare, so he would not be disobedient by doing so. So if you're strong in Iman, you have to go through a little bit of difficulty, but the, the backup plan would eventually kick into place and you're okay. Um, he may travel to remote areas relying upon Allah Ta'ala's subtle handiwork without limiting his attention to clear obvious causes. 
Um, okay, that's the end of that section. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, grant us uh, his tawakkul. May Allah ta'ala make us from amongst those who truly trust and believe in him. May Allah ta'ala allow us to understand the wisdoms of tawakkul and allow us to uh, to believe in him within the guise of his sunnah and within the guise of the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa akhirat da'wan alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.